guys are barrels of fun. This is section 422. Welcome from the $5 Seats. This is the section 422 podcast episode number 49. Derek Van Riper here along with Will Salmon. On this episode, we'll take a look at the Brewers' ongoing battle for the starting job at third base. We'll also discuss some of the players making strong cases for a place on the opening day roster and some of the subsequent tough cuts that will be made over the final two weeks leading up to the start of the season. You might be listening to this show for the very first time. If that's the case, welcome. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash 422. That includes Will's written coverage of the Brewers. That includes Eric Name on the Bucks, fantasy baseball stuff. No matter what you like in MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, EPL, league or team coverage, we cover them and we cover them very well. Will, how's it going for you on this Monday? Doing really well, Derek. Doing really well. Back in Arizona, so I'm excited about that. Uh, there's a night game tonight for the Brewers uh, before things kind of get back to the, the normal swing of it with uh, day games for spring training and such. But cool to have something different, uh, and it's great to be back. Uh, so I'm looking forward to sort of touching base with the guys um, around the team. And yeah, it definitely beats the weather, too, for a little while. You know, that, that adjustment was a little bit, you know, I saw somebody on Twitter told us uh, a couple of days ago they were like hey wisconsin weather isn't i mean new york city weather isn't wisconsin weather and uh man that guy was correct um kind of figured learned that really quickly uh, although it really like wasn't like by standards and, and obviously by the past and and it could be a lot worse but for me it was definitely different to feel those gusts of winds for the past few days while walking around milwaukee but i love the city man what a great place to be so happy about it but also cool to be in a different climate for a couple of weeks in arizona yeah i was in florida uh, just over a week ago and caught a couple of spring training games down there and it was a nice break from uh, the norm but this has been a very mild winter as uh, most people who've been here throughout the year will tell you now last winter was maybe the worst i've ever been in i i, I just couldn't believe it it was just one type of storm uh, after another but uh, i didn't have the heart to tell you that uh, wisconsin winters are probably worse than new york winters <laughs> you'll, you'll you'll make it through uh, but the one thing that's really cool by the way since you're back in arizona if you're a fan and you get a chance to go down to Arizona for spring training, get a night game into the mix too. Like, yeah, you're probably going to load up on Brewers games if you're listening to this podcast and maybe the schedule won't work out where the Brewers play one. But go to a night game in Arizona during spring training because one, usually you get a beautiful sunset, uh, especially at uh, Talking Stick where the Rockies and Diamondbacks play. Uh, they have just, it's an amazing view there all the time. So I highly recommend checking out that facility. And two, like the the atmosphere of a spring training night game is just kind of different than a day game. Like the day game's great. You're soaking up the sun. And you can tell everyone there is kind of just on vacation. But the night game has this kind of cool feel to it because it's sort of, usually it's a standalone game. Like I don't think there's usually more than one night game on the spring schedule either. So something to think about if you get out there. Have you have you been to a spring night game already this spring? I haven't, no. The Brewers were only doing day games, so something different for sure i'm definitely looking forward to it especially the way you describe it like i'm i'm already like 
in my mind envisioning it now. So good job, man. Great job on the on the description on that one. Got me excited, even more excited than I already was. It does get like sneaky cold though. That is, I mean, and I'm saying that as someone who is cold in the winter here for several months. Like, don't be surprised when it drops like 20 degrees over the course of the game. Uh, fortunately, it'll be a little warmer up in the press box, but. The Christian Yelich deal, we talked about it on last week's episode. It became official on Friday. There was a press conference on Friday as well. Uh, we had a chance to hear Christian Yelich speak and owner Mark Atanasio and GM David Stearns. Everyone had a chance to kind of weigh in and answer some questions about it. So I'm just curious, as you were watching that presser, did anything stand out to you that any of those three guys said? A little bit, yeah. Um, but what I liked or what I noticed the most was sort of like their some some of their demeanors. You know, I mean, you and I were talking a little bit um, off air just about how Mark Antanasio, just his demeanor was he looked like a you know a kid in the candy store, not the owner of a major league baseball club. You know, I mean, he was just that giddy about about the deal, and he he looked as if he was representing a fan base and not just being the owner of the team. I mean, the way he looked kind of signified. Um, or personified really what everybody that was affiliated with the Brewers were feeling. And also, aside from that, um, you also saw a side of Christian Yelich that really underscored what I think David Stearns and even Craig Council, when he speaks about Yelich, what they try to articulate, but sometimes it, it it's hard to sort of understand what they're trying to articulate because you don't see it. But when... He was asked just about his supporting, you know, the, the people who have supported him over the years. And he started to uh, get a little bit emotional about it while while thinking of those people. Obviously, his mother playing a huge role in his life um, and thinking about the people who have helped him along the way to kind of get to this point where he could say something like, hey, I'm ready to be a brewer for life um, and really see his career for what it is and what it could be down the road and and, and sort of have that right at the forefront of his mind with um, in the backdrop of everybody who's supporting him being on hand as well. Uh, you saw him share, share some emotion there within his answer, got a little bit uh, teary-eyed even. And you know that, that kind of, like I said, underscores the point of, of who Christian Yelich is. And clearly he's an excellent baseball player, but it also is said, and this was a good example of just how much things mean to him and and the quality of person that, by all accounts, he is by those who know him best. So that we got to see a glimpse of that as well. I thought one of the more telling answers was when um, David Stearns was asked just about what this could sort of mean long term uh, for the payroll and just in, in terms of trying to build a consistent contender around Yelich, because that's really what the question is now. The biggest question in the room for the Brewers was, what are they going to do with Christian Yelich? Can they can they extend him? Now the biggest question is what kind of contender can they build around him for the foreseeable future? And so he's he obviously would express confidence in his ability to do that. And and I think he should. I think he's deserved the benefit of the doubt. He's built some surprise contenders in creative ways over the past couple of years. And as we touched on last week, they have the flexibility in a couple of years uh, to add some talent in addition to getting creative with the lineup construction or, you know, developing pitchers or whatever else they have to do. Yeah. I think the, the comparisons to Braun that we made last week hold up also when you start to think about 
how the payroll, just because of the way money into the game as a whole has increased, the payroll is going to go up compared to what it was throughout bronze peak years. And I think the percentage of the payroll that is allocated to Christian Yelich going forward is very similar to what the Brewers were allocating to Ryan Braun over the larger of his two contract extensions. So I don't think there's ever going to be a day where people can reasonably sit down and say, well, they can't get this guy because they extended Yelich. I just don't think that's really going to change the dynamics of how this team works. It might be an argument that we see on message boards and in comment sections on articles, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of truth to it. Uh, I think where teams get into trouble is when they start to make three- and four-year commitments to players who uh, simply uh, cost full market value and also are not producing even like at a break-even sort of rate. Uh, a good example of that right now, if you're just a general fan of baseball, look at the Boston Red Sox and the mess that they made. I mean, they could have retained Mookie Betts, and they chose not to because they made other bad choices. Nate Valdi, J.D. Martinez, you know, things things that they did otherwise that maybe squeezed them into this position where they didn't want to make a move like that. I don't think the Brewers have done anything at all like that by extending Yelich. I think they have one really consistent piece that they can build around for years to come. I think if you previously looked at this team and thought, well, with the with the option that he had, he was going to be here until 2022, and then he's potentially going to leave, that was a legitimate concern for a while. And all the, all the moves that you were trying to think about if you were predicting what David Stearns was going to do kind of hinged around the possibility of losing Yelich after 2022. Now that that's erased... And I think he mentioned this in the press conference. Now that they can start to kind of realize they have him as a foundation, they can think about the different ways to build around him. They can think about the pre-arbitration extension for Keston here that we talked about. They can think about other pieces they're going to pursue in free agency. You know, like they have all these different wrinkles that they can now think about because they know Yelich is here beyond that 2022 season. Yeah, I would say also though, and maybe maybe you this is going into your point. Maybe it's not, but I feel like though that the margin for error though, it, it, it changes when you have a deal like this though, because like you said, the the Red Sox have made some missteps, but that's really what's cost them. It's not so much the deals that have panned out where, yeah, they were lengthy. Yes, they were pretty costly, but if they're working out, they're working out. It's the other deals that sometimes uh, you overpay for somebody who, who doesn't play up to his value or uh, something along those lines where you have a misstep. So I think the margin for error, um, you know, kind of decrease, it kind of shrinks a little bit. Um, but I would agree with what you said beyond that, though, is that, you know, the Brewers haven't made those type of deals. And I don't think that they really are. I think they've been really smart with seeing value in, in areas that kind of go a little bit under undercovered uh, by other teams or, uh, they they go a more creative route, uh, whether it's platooning or um, mixing and matching elsewhere, and just trying to ac- accumulate as much uh, versatility and redundancies as possible. So, I think they, in some ways, they have some assurances, and or ins- they create some insurances that way uh, to kind of prevent that from being totally a misstep um, when it doesn't pan out. But yeah, the I, I would I would still argue though that the margin for error still still decreases though. Yeah, I think it just kind of remains small. I think it's always been small because the Brewers are not going to outspend 
the biggest markets in the league. That's just not what they're going to do, at least anytime soon. There's no indication of them getting up to top of the league sort of payroll levels. But I think there is a pretty clear commitment on the part of the organization to continue to remain competitive. It's not going to be, hey, let's punt for three years and, and come back and, and reload. I think this is a sign that they're really going to keep trying to push chips in and, and keep things together uh, as best they can. Now, the, the last quote from, from Atanasio before we move on, this is the, the one that really stood out to me, kind of said it right at the beginning of the press conference. He said, it was very challenging for me to come at this because I always feel like I'm a fan first. And it just it did feel like a very genuine moment where, yeah, he owns this team, and yeah, he's worth a lot of money, and yeah, he makes bigger deals than the one the Brewers made with Christian Yelich in his other <laughs> other life, I guess we could call it. Um, but like, this is something that I think he has a, a true joy for. Like this is this is something that he actually genuinely wants to be a part of. Uh, and I think maybe because of other things we're seeing around the game right now, it's refreshing to see an owner who at least visibly has that sort of joy when you get chances to hear him speak publicly. Just it's not often like, he, but he, he he does make himself somewhat accessible. He does interviews during games and. Uh, it just I think it's it's refreshing to have a likable owner in an era where a lot of the owners are not likable. Yeah, they they are they. I think inherently they're hard to like just because. Or I think the, the baseline is okay. I'm not going to like this guy. He has a lot of money. Um, he's definitely not going to spend it the way I think he should spend it. He's not going to spend it enough. He he's not going to do this or that. I think that's that's kind of like what the baseline is for like a lot of fans and owners um, unless it's a rare circumstance, but, uh, but I'm with you on that. I, I kind of do find him likable. I met him for the first time a few weeks ago and we had a really good conversation just about, about the athletic, quite frankly, um, uh, just about media and, and the brewers. <laughs> and so that's like, I, I came, I came away with that and I said, okay, this, this is a pretty personable guy um, who, who seems to take a lot of pride in being the owner of the Brewers, um, not just because it, uh, from a business standpoint, but just because it's something that obviously and clearly it's what he, it's what he's wanted to do, and and that that was that was like I said that was clear when he was sitting sitting um sitting next to Davis Stern and Christian Yelich on Friday for sure. Yeah, I think it's become a little more apparent in in recent years, especially that Mark's son Mike might end up being the. the principal owner at some point down the road that might be the long-term plan for the franchise that's obviously a topic for some other day but you mentioned the flexibility that the brewers have been really leaning into and there is an ongoing job battle i think the question has been going back to the beginning of the offseason you know if mike moustakis leaves and he left pretty early he signed with cincinnati very early in the offseason process who would replace him at third base? And initially, there was a thought that maybe Travis Shaw would get another look. He was non-tendered. He went to Toronto. And it's been this sort of piecemeal attempt to build a platoon. Eric Sogard, Jed Jerko, Ryan Healy all brought in at different points this winter. Uh, a lot of that came back in December. The Brewers were very active in December. If you look at the third base picture right now, and Luis Urias' name has come up as part of this too, but let's focus on Sogard, Jerko, and, and Healy for now. I see it pretty logically as a platoon to begin the season where Sogard as the lefty is going to get the starts against right-handed pitchers for the most part, and Jerko as the righty is going to play against lefties, and because he has minor league options left, Ryan Healy seems like 
almost a lock at this point to go to AAA San Antonio. We'll talk about how the, the roster kind of fits together in just a minute. But do you think that's a fair assessment in terms of how the Brewers intend to begin the season with their playing time at third base? You almost got really interesting in a hurry with uh, with with, with uh, Luis Urias going to third base, and we could have discussed a little bit about Orlando Arcia and got really into the weeds really quickly. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to the weeds, <laughs> but but yeah, I think uh, I think I think you hit you hit it correctly. It's the pretty clear path to the to the platoon that that you're saying. Um, you know, Sogard is coming off that career year in which he hit the the 13 home runs. Um, he decreased his strikeout rate, hit the ball in the air more, was rewarded with that. Um, the high bad dip helped him as well, of course, and that kind of makes you think, okay, how much of this could come back to the 2020 and how much of it can he retain? So you have some question marks there, and you know you also have some question marks with Jed Jerko. I mean, with him, it's been more of a health deal where he just has not been healthy the past couple of seasons and when he has been on the field the production hasn't been there uh, because of those nagging injuries in some instances and so both of those guys have pretty significant question marks uh, for for a couple of guys that you're looking at as the makeup of your starting third baseman for the most part this season so I've said it a couple of times and I'll keep saying it until proven otherwise that third base position you know, I was I was pretty okay with what they did at catcher. Um, I like what they're doing at first base. I, I love the outfield, of course, and up up the middle. There's some promise there that you could see, um, especially based on what Uris was able to do late in the season in AAA last year. Not to mention what we've seen from Marcia, but it's it's that third base where it's just like. I, I just don't. I'm just not all in on that. Um, not heavily optimistic. You know, Jed Jerko has. I, I spoke to him a couple of times so far this spring, and he's. He said to me that he's felt as 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 great as he has ever in his career. And you know, I asked him kind of point blank because everybody's going to say that in spring training. So, you know, I just asked him point blank, just how much do you have? How much do you think you honestly have left? And it's kind of a loaded, blunt question, but but uh, he gave a pretty good, detailed answer to it, and he seemed pretty confident. He's confident in the work that he was able to put in. I'm just not sure, you know, at his age. Um, I guess what he's 31, right, Derek? Um, yeah, he's 31. Turns 32 in September. You know, I'm just not like, I'm just not convinced that a bounce back. There, there's just, there's not enough in that, in that hitter's profile. Um, there's not enough with, when you consider the age to make me say, okay, he's going to bounce back. But the thing is, is that because of the platoon situation, it's kind of a question of, well, well what do they need from these two guys? And is what they need something that both of them can provide um, based on the limited action that they're going to see? Um, and that's really, I think, the question. And, and so I could kind of get down with that line of thinking in some ways, um, but I'm not totally convinced either. I guess if you think about it, too, just from the broader construction of the lineup, if you get less from catcher and third base from an offense perspective than you did last year, you have to get more somewhere else. So maybe you get more by having Avisail Garcia in your mix in the outfield. Maybe you get a healthier season from Lorenzo Cain. And then maybe Luis Urias, we've talked about a few times in the show. Like he's to me, he's a pivotal player. If you get more from those guys, so you could basically get more from shortstop, and you get more from one of your outfield spots, and you get a little bit more 
uh, from Keston here over a full season too, just having that upgrade all year instead of just for about four months, maybe that's enough to offset what you lost at catcher and third base. So like maybe third base is your worst offensive position as a team, or maybe it just kind of works because Sogard gets on base and it's kind of nice as a table setter. And then Jerko against lefties brings some pop and he can hit fifth or sixth in the order that day and, and be kind of like a, like a David freeze type player. And I know the name David Freeze makes a lot of Brewers fans cringe because he's done some damage against the Brewers uh, in the postseason going back to his time with the Cardinals. But you know, David Freeze is one of those guys that later in his career became a small side platoon guy. and He was a big part of that Dodgers team that knocked the Brewers out of the postseason two years ago. So I, I kind of see it working okay with those two guys. And I wonder if, if Jerko, I mean, if he is in fact feeling as good as he's ever felt, I wonder if people overlook what he could do against righties just a little bit. If you go back to 2016 and 2017, he was just above average uh, against righties. Had a 119 WRC plus in 116, 102 in in, uh, 2017, and then in 2018 dipped to 96, so 4% worse than league average in 2018. Last year, injuries just washed out his season. He only had 60 plate appearances against righties, and he was terrible in them, but he was hurt, so I think we can kind of look past it. So I do think there's an outside shot that Jerko, while he might begin the year in a platoon, I think he might get a few starts against righties, maybe against some of the easier righties. And we hear that sometimes where, oh, this guy's going to sit against tough righties. So you know, that's, a, that's a real thing, too. It's not necessarily a strict platoon. It's more of a soft platoon, and it turns out to be more of a 50-50 split. But I also think that because we didn't see big spending in free agency, the types of moves that David Stearns could make in season with regard to adding some payroll, that changes a lot. And I think the name that I keep coming back to, who's made sense really going back to the late fall, is Kyle Seeger in Seattle. I still think Kyle Seeger, as an offensive player, is pretty comparable to Mike Moustakis. I think Moustakis hits more home runs, but I think when you look at their year-over-year output, kind of a low-ish batting average, decent on-base percentage, sort of profile with that pop from the left side. I think Kyle Seeger could actually profile as a good trade target down the road if the Brewers are unhappy with the combination of Sogar, Jerko, and, and perhaps Healy, depending on how things play out. Yeah, I could I could see that. I, there's there's some things to like about Seeger too. He's he's bounced back at least in my opinion. Um, he had that woeful 2018 season where his on base percentage was something abysmal, like two two seventy or something like that, with like a you know, two twenty average, and just none of the underlying um, advanced stats suggested uh, you know better better days ahead with an increased strikeout rate and everything else. Uh, but he he put together a better better season last year um, despite missing some time as well. Uh, so yeah, that that, that could happen. Uh, and something that you touched on that that's also interesting with um with Sogard and Jericho is the the lineup flexibility that they that they both provide in different ways. You know, like you said as far as being a table setter, you know, Sogard's a guy that you know, say say something say I mean Kane's going to play, right? But but say he's not what he wants to be again or say that, you know, he, he's again banged up or whatever the case is right um so so guards a guy that that could lead off a game for you and could provide that sort of another table setter for you for uh before you get into the into the heart of the lineup um so so that could be a difference too um that 
that you want to consider and that you want to weigh in determining who's going to play when and, and what the circumstances are. But uh, for the most part, I mean, these things also tend to um, figure themselves out at some point in the year where, you know, inevitably and invariably somebody will get cold and, and somebody will, will have a hot stretch and, and, and we'll see where that rides, rides out and where that leaves us, leaves us. Yeah. And I think that's sort of how they expect the roster to shake out between now and opening day. I mean, there's going to be some tough cuts regardless, but how exactly those pieces fit will hinge on the health of a few players. Urias, uh, obviously the first guy that kind of comes to mind because there's a chance that he's ready for opening day. But you start to look at how a 26-man roster with these players comes together. Uh, we know the two catchers, Narvaez and Pena, Smoke and Braun. We'll count Braun as a first baseman. You could count him as an outfielder if you want to. Hira at second. Urias and Arcia, assuming Urias is healthy, give you your two at shortstop. Sogard and Jerko. Brock Holt as the backup infielder, Yelich Kane and Avisail Garcia. That's 13 position players without Ben Gamble. We've talked about him before as a guy that might just get pushed off the roster because he has minor league options left. Uh, if you were to say that Urias isn't ready for the start of the season, then I could see Gamble making the opening day roster and maybe being the guy that goes down once uh, when Urias is healthy because they can move a guy like Brock Holt into the outfield if they need to. Like his versatility, I think, really opens up some some different things they can do with the roster. Um, so in that scenario, I mean, that's that's full unless they decide to only keep 12 pitchers. Then they could keep 14 position players, and then a guy like Gamble could exist on the roster with Urias. And I think the way they've structured their pitching staff, they have a lot of pitchers who have minor league options left. A lot of guys that can go up and down if needed. So that makes things pretty interesting as well. Uh, they've added depth. They, they made that move to pick up Mark Mathias, uh, he's been pretty interesting this spring, but I don't really see a place for him on the opening day roster with the current healthy group of players. So I think you're going to see Ryan Healy and Mathias go down to AAA to begin the year. Chase Peterson, who's there as an NRI, probably doesn't make the team. And Logan Morrison has been mashing. He's got three homers, hitting 292, 370, 667, and like 20-plus plate appearances now. Tiny sample, yeah, it's spring, but he's playing well enough to, to make the case. He's already said he won't go to the minors, uh, so I'm kind of curious to see if there's any path for him, but I get the sense that maybe Logan Morrison ends up playing somewhere else. I mean, Is that a, a fair assessment of how you think the position players currently fit just based on who's left in camp and how people have performed so far? What a majestic swing Logan Morrison has on those home runs, right? I mean, geez, uh, he's been able to showcase that, but yeah, I think so. I think that's probably right. That that's really the biggest thing is as far as Gamble's situation is concerned is is uh, Urias's health because I think he probably if he he would be my guess as the guy who who takes that spot if uh, Urias opens on the IL, but like you're saying, it kind of just delays the inevitable because he's going to be back up um, clearly, um, and he's going to take that spot. So I, I think as much as the Brewers like Healy and Matthias. They do go. They they do go to AAA just because of the options and what that and how that makes sense. Matthias has shown some good versatility this spring, playing multiple positions, including the outfield for the first time. So there's there's uh they're experimenting with him. They're asking him to do different things that are outside his comfort zone to sort of increase his skill set and uh, make him even more valuable. Um and and just add to 
add to the versatility that he can provide the team if they they need to call on him down the road. And and Healy, there's there's a lot to like with him. I mean, he was he was hurt uh, last year, um, had the hip and back problems, um, but he's healthy now. And and I, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure where he kind of fits long term or anything like that but I mean he's a he's a guy that you, who provides some quality depth at the corner positions for you um, first and third base I think I think he probably is seeing a little bit more time at, at first these days but um, he can definitely play third base as well um, and, and then you mentioned Jace Peterson as as somebody else who who's kind of another guy they like because of the versatility and how many different things he can do but I think he's a guy that doesn't make the team, but ends up staying with the Brewers. Um, he's a veteran guy. There's there there are some things to like about him, but I feel like he the Brewers put more of a premium on a guy like him than than we see other teams do. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Now I think the thing we have to keep in mind from last year: a couple things went terribly wrong with Shaw and, and Jesus Aguilar and their performance, but. The depth was a problem when things didn't go well with Shaw in particular. I mean, that that forced the Brewers to uh, really probably, uh, well, I, I guess that opened the door for Hira eventually. But you could tell they were struggling at that decision last year because they sent Hira down when Shaw got healthy and tried to go down that road again. But it was Hernan Perez who, you know, didn't have options left, was that versatile bench guy, was, was great in the clubhouse. Like, he was sort of the the guy that didn't fit with the flexibility because you couldn't send him up and down. I think they've really addressed that well. Uh, no one's going to get excited about Ryan Healy signing a deal, and no one's going to get that excited about Mark Mathias ending up in the org, but being able to send players up and down actually makes a very big difference because you can fill various needs as injuries and slumps and different things that kind of come up over the, the course of the season. Uh, as you think about the pitching and how that's constructed, are there potential tough cuts there? Because I see so many guys with options. I mean, Hader's not going down, of course. He has options. But Hader, Peralta, Suter, Burns, Claudio, J.P. Fireeyes, and they all have options. Eric Lauer, who's a rotation candidate, he has options. The only two guys I've seen projected in the opening day bullpen by roster resource who don't have options left are David Phelps and Ray Black. So that same sort of flexibility that they have with some of the position players, I think it's even greater when it comes to their options in the pen. Yeah, no, no question. And, and really, I was I was actually low-key excited about Ryan Healy, Derek. I mean, you're talking <laughs> about a guy, you know, I mean, 24, 25 home runs back-to-back years. I mean, the, this, this guy, he could do some things, man. So I was, I was low-key excited about him. But, but yeah, the pitchers, um, yeah, it's a little bit more of a messier situation, I feel like, because whereas... Yeah, there there are some intriguing options as far as position players go with the Brewers. They're pretty much set with we know what they're gonna do, we know what they look like. Uh, the other guys, they're hard cuts, but but we know that they're going to be cuts. Um, but the, the the bullpen and the bullpen and the pitching staff bullpen in particular is just a lot more interesting as far as what could happen and um, the amount of options that the brewers have because like you said guys like you know phelps phelps is important i mean he's a veteran right-hander and the the brewers could certainly use him to have a nice year and and black doesn't have the options and could throw 100 miles an hour and you know with with him it's you know if he figures it out he could be pretty he could be pretty good um so there's a lot to like there um 
but you mentioned some guys, uh, Wall, uh, Perdomo's look good. Eric Yardley's look good. Uh, Devin Williams had some, some outings last year that, that showed some promise and him being more, him being a reliever now that's added to his, um, velocity. It's increased his strikeout rate. So all these guys kind of have, you know, not all of them, but, but most of them have some similar, uh, statistics or you know they're the high k rate guys but they've yet to do it at the big league level so they're kind of all in this grouping um and really what in my opinion kind of decides it for them is just like the amount of options each of them have um and just where their their needs because you already outlined it but you're gonna have to have say lauer makes the rotation that puts peralta in the bullpen right um you already have hater and suitor um, Burns, Burns, I would say he goes to AAA actually. Um, there, there's a chance he goes to AAA and just that way he could start games. Um, so that could free up a spot as well. Um, because they, they really want to work on being a starting pitcher and, and having him in the bullpen. I'm not sure if, uh, if that's the wisest thing for, for his trajectory. Um, even, even just for this season because of how good he's looked, I think they want to put him in a situation that he could sort of just continue to build positive momentum and maybe him getting off to a hot start in AAA as a starter. It could be what ends up being the best thing for him. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I think that opens up a spot in the short term. And then later on, if they decide, well, the bullpen's a weakness, the rotation's okay, we can we could add Burns to the bullpen. That could be his path to working in relief. So the projections of him being in the opening day bullpen are probably a little bit off. I think if you pull him out of the equation, you assume Suter's the long man, Peralta's part of the bridge to Hater. I fight you know, Fire Eisen could be there on opening day, but Bobby Wall could just as easily be in that spot too. I think of that group, Wall, Williams, Perdomo, and Yardley, all four have options left. So they could be up and down guys, or at least a couple of those guys could be up and down guys. And that's that's flexibility the Brewers have had for several years. They've tried to, I think, use the AAA pitching staff as a clear extension of the big league bullpen. And that's going to continue uh, as we look ahead to this 2020 season. A couple other injury-related things and notable things. Uh, Phil Bickford was electric on Friday, and I was working on some rankings updates for The Athletic, and I saw... Uh, the Brewer Nation, Adam Rigg, who joined me on some of our off-season episodes, uh, just effusive in the praise of what Bickford was doing. I just remember that when Phil Bickford was drafted, he was a first-rounder. It's been a long road for him, so immediately popped open the app and, and watched, the, watched the inning, and it was impressive. It was a late-inning performance against the Giants, so it was fringy big-league players, but I think their top-catching prospect, Joey Bart, was up in that inning, and Jalen Davis might actually make their roster. He tore up AAA last year. Uh, but I came away really impressed. I think Bickford was topping out around 95, and he's just like all arms and legs. Like he's six four. It just it looks like he's throwing the ball from 52 feet away from home plate. You know, like he's his extension's really good. Kind of got a release point that's out almost behind a right-handed hitter. And I thought, you know what? He was at high A last year, but by the end of 2020, that might be another guy who ends up kind of in the mix for some innings if the progression through the upper levels of the minor leagues goes well. Sure can. He's had, some, he's had clean innings. He's a lot of fun to watch. And yeah, you know, it's, it's the, he, he's, he's been entering games, uh, usually 
that it, it may all be the ninth inning, if not later. It's it's always been later in the games, obviously, when the minor leaguers are are taking the at bats and they're on the mound. Um, so he he's facing you know just your typical AAA or even less than that guys. Um, but still, I mean, the stuff has been electric. Um, like you noted with the fastball, it's 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 coming out hot. Uh, he's he's looked terrific. So it's it's a cool story um, beyond really anything else. If he's if he's able to to get on track and do something with his career, because we all know uh, what the expectations were. We all know how talented he was and still is clearly. But he's had some setbacks. He's he's had some some issues that he's had to overcome he's had um so now to kind of see him it, it's the cool story so far it could be a even uh even a much better one like you're alluding to so at some point in 2020 or 2021 let's talk about ryan braun for a second uh, he's dealing with rotator cuff soreness any concerns that that's going to linger or do you think this is ultimately something that's put to rest here in the next few days yeah i think it's probably something that's put to rest you never know but i would assume it's, it's something that he could kind of move on from. Um, we were never really going to see him for for much of the spring. Um, he has been taking some extra ground ball, ground balls before games at first base and working on that. But we were never really going to see him, you know, really appear in that many games. I mean, he's a guy that's good with what fifteen to twenty at bats in the spring, and that's it anyway. So I uh, wouldn't be too alarmed with it yet um if it, we'll know soon enough how much it lingers and and where we should put our concern but for right now i, I wouldn't be too concerned luis urias progressed to facing live pitching on sunday any timetable for him to appear in a cactus league game yeah i think it's probably at some point next in the next week or two um you know he's a guy that correct council has said, said early on you know the first couple of weeks he was asked and he said this is a guy that's going to play in some games in spring training. So he's, again, th- that sort of surprised me a little bit when I was first hearing those things. But it, it's all building toward a timetable that looks to be a lot sooner than what people suggested. Or even if it's a little bit sooner than what people suggested, it's a good thing for the Brewers. Because like I touched on earlier, he, he's a guy that, that made some some changes last year, hit the ball in the air more toward the end of the season. So He's a guy I'm excited to see, and so if we're able to kind of see him even a little bit in, in a couple of spring training games, that, that would be cool to kind of get a gauge on, on where he's at, how he looks swinging the bat. We don't know those things yet, so uh, definitely worth keeping an eye on for sure. And if he's in the field, you know, where is he playing defensively? Are they using him at shortstop? Are they trying to get him some reps at third base? Is he limited to DH? I think that'll give us some hints as to just how the beginning of his season might play out whether or not he's going to make the opening day roster or whether he has to begin on the IL and join the team uh, a few weeks into the season. A quick follow-up on Adrian Hauser. He left a start last week Monday with a thumb injury. It was described as a precautionary exit at the time. He pitched three and a third innings in his return. That was against the A's on Sunday. Faced 14 batters, struck out three, walked a couple, but it looks like Hauser is okay and still has plenty of time to be ready for the start of the season. So any reason to be concerned with Hauser? No, I don't think so. Um, the only the only reason it's, it's a sigh of relief, even if it's just a small one, and I say that just because there are a few question marks with this rotation. I think that they're in a much better position than they have been in, in recent years, um, as far as how they look and 
and what the projections indicate and what they could be capable of. But you need Hauser to take a big step and you need him to to log you some serious innings this year. And you need him to really be that, you know, number two or number three guy uh, for this rotation to really look pretty. And so any sort of injury or precaution thing will will kind of raise a little bit of concern until until he goes out there and shows you that you shouldn't be concerned like he kind of did the other day. Um, so that was good to see because they're going to rely on Hauser. I mean, how he, he's not Brandon Woodruff, but if you look closely at his numbers, he, he's not all that far off. He's not dramatically far off either um, in, in some categories. So he's he's definitely an important an important arm for this rotation team. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a guy that had more than a strikeout per inning last year, 372 ERA, 124 whip, uh, 25% strikeout rate. So lots to like as it came to uh, last season with Adrian Hauser. Any upcoming stories on The Athletic that we should uh, discuss before we sign off, Will? Yeah, I mean, speaking of Woodruff, uh, we touched on it the other uh, last podcast, but we're, I think, rolling these out on Mondays, right? So we kind of caught up uh, a little bit earlier than we usually do. So we still have that Brandon Woodruff story coming out um, this week after visiting his hometown of tiny Wheeler, Mississippi. So still excited about that. That, that should turn out to be a, a pretty good, uh, fun read where you kind of learn more about um, what really makes Brandon Woodruff who he is. Awesome. Well, you can definitely check that out with a subscription to The Athletic. If you don't have one already, theathletic.com slash 422 will get you 40% off a subscription for your first year. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you enjoy this pod and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We would greatly appreciate it. And tell your friends if you think they would like the show as well. Our schedule is going to generally be Monday releases for these episodes as big things happen, as schedules change, you know, we'll tweak things and make announcements, of course, on Twitter if we have to move things around. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. We're back with you next week from Section 422.